Welcome to episode six of Talking Toro, where finally the curse is lifted and Torino win a match after God knows when, a long time. Uh, Robert, take it away. I'm, I'm not sure what's more surprising, the fact that we've won a game or the fact that, we, that we've won a game after getting a penalty as well. It's the, the double whammy. Um, yeah, and, I, and allowing us to take it twice as well. Yeah, it's it's almost as if they, they sort of knew how long it had been since we'd uh, had a penalty, so they gave Balati two opportunities to do it. Um, I after after the game on uh, Saturday, I thought there was quite a lot of negative uh, opinions on the performance, and I, I didn't think we were that bad. Look, we weren't great against statistically the worst team in the league, but I thought we deserved the. I thought we deserved the win. I don't think Salernitana were like knocking down the door. They had a couple of good chances, and we were we were grateful for Barisha. Um, but we also had chances in the second half. I thought in the first half we were getting into sort of the final third, like at will, and it was just poor decision-making, which was sort of breaking down opportunities and chances. But I thought it's a good trait to have, bear in mind we've lost numerous games this season when playing well, to actually win a game when playing not at our best and, and finally getting a win that, that we've really needed for for a few weeks now. Um I think that's it's probably positive. I'll choose to look on the, the positive side rather than the negative. Um, Federico Fazio um, managed to outdo Carolinetti's worst performance of the season. Uh, I'm sure you might touch on that that later, but um, the, the the fact that he argued the penalty uh, was, was quite humorous because I don't think you'll ever see a, a clearer penalty than that. I thought the I thought the decision to retake the penalty and the commentators on BT Sports seem to think it was due to the goalkeeper moving off his line, but I thought it was quite clear it was encroachment uh, from players going into the box. But I mean, it, it's one of those decisions which, if it goes against you, you're fuming. But I was quite happy to see the, the referee uh, suggest a, for a retake there. Um, but yeah, not 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 all negative, not not the sort of greatest performance that we've had, but it's. Bear in mind, the only teams we've beaten those, uh, beaten Salernitana uh, since Nicola came in with um, Inter and Juve. I think it may, may maybe had to be an ugly game, and, and with the weather turning the second half, it was never going to be sort of beautiful football either. Probably for me, it was the wor- it was the worst winning performance. Um, I thought we were a bit lucky to beat Verona earlier in the season. Um, we played very well for half an hour in that game, got the goal, and then against 10 men, we didn't do very well. Um, Saturday it was just a bit of a depressing match, wasn't it? The, I, I was kind of expecting a bigger, bigger crowd there. It looked like their fans had, had thrown in a towel or seen the weather forecast, uh, one of the two. But um, I think we may have got dragged down a bit to, bit to their level in a way. Um, I, I didn't think it was a very good performance. I think apart from Barisha, I don't think as a single Torino player would deserve more than six out of 10 performance wise. I think you're right. I think the last, what disappointed me probably most was I can understand us being um, lacking confidence and composure, but I thought once we got the goal, they, they had no choice but to come on to us and to not, not kind of make more more of a breakaways. I think probably if Singo's goal had stood, we could have maybe seen the floodgates open a bit as well. Um, but yeah, just quite a sloppy performance, um, quite defensive. 
collectively, I didn't think we were um, put under a lot of pressure, but I think we put ourselves under a bit of pressure for a while. But in life, there are a few guarantees, and uh, Federico Fazio, for me, is got to be over the last couple of seasons one of the worst centre halves playing in the top five European leagues. And for the, I mean, for the teams he's played for as well, is incredible, considering that he's been at Tottenham and and Roma. Uh, but he just, yeah. Yeah, he had a mistake in him from the very beginning. I thought actually the sending the second in yellow was slightly harsh, but um, but, but maybe I just wanted him to stay on the pitch. But yeah, that that was uh, that that was definitely um, uh, one guarantee. And the second one is that Simone Verdi, despite I think we uh, we put so much the idea of him scoring, um, we talked about it so much that we probably jinxed him. But yeah, he was. Uh, he had a gave a Torino performance in the Salernitana shirt. I mean, he, he did come close. Yeah. Did come close sort of first ten minutes, and I thought, um, to be honest, as soon as it left his foot, I thought it was a goal. But it was a great, a great save by Barisha, and probably not even his best save of the match. I think it's one against um, Edison, who was one of the sort of rare bright spots for Salernitana. Was probably even better. Um, and having a goalkeeper who makes saves is always quite helpful. Um, no offense to Milinkovic Savage, but. I think he, he's a bit more of a, a trustworthy figure um, in goal. Maybe that experience and a um, bit more of a, pr- a presence uh, has really helped us in, when we when we've needed him. Uh, given the fact that we've us our form has sort of dipped a little bit, where the defence is is conceding chances. Yeah, Barisha, I thought the the Verdi shot hit him slightly. Um, but you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's, he was in the right place, reacted well. Um, and there were a couple of saves later on, which uh, which were quite impressive. I did make a note during the match where there's something about him that doesn't always inspire confidence. It's more his handling and, and coming out for crosses uh, and some decision-making. So, yeah, I feel, I feel more confident with him and goal facing facing shots and, and, and pulling out something spectacular, but probably feel well he's obviously not as good with his feet as Milinkovic Savic and I feel a little bit less confident in him um yeah with high balls into the box so yes I think he deserves to keep his place for a while um but I'm not sure and one of the things I've thought this weekend was probably there's a few Torino players who I think I wouldn't say last chance saloon but you start to see the areas of the team we might need to to kind of strengthen Next year, goalkeepers were going to have a big questions. I think fullbacks, Voivodas, he had quite a good spell post Christmas. We're all quite surprised of um, uh, the kind of little bit of quality in the final third, but that seems to be a bit of an exception to the rule with him, really. Um, and obviously, we've got Singo on the other side, who's who blows a bit hot and cold. But I think that there, there are a couple of positions that we really need to look at. And then a, a disappointing thing for me on Saturday was the midfield. Um, Richie, I can kind of understand. I thought he was a little bit sloppy, though, um, considering uh, ball retention would be one of the things he was brought in for. But just not sure that triangle uh, with Lukic playing higher up the field is a bit confusing. Uh, if kind of Lukic was was treading on toes a little bit and not not being in a position where he needed to be. But I, just, I also thought Mandragora's performance was... I wrote Simone Baroni quality, um, but just yeah, I mean, everyone's entitled to a, to to kind of a, a bad game, but I just didn't think the midfield got hold of the game, and consequently, the forward players were uh, were less effective than they could have been. But let's, I mean, we can't complain. We've won, 
And I think this result is just, okay, we've put, uh, we've come back from an international break. We've put an end to that bad form. We've killed off any lingering fears of relegation for people like me. Um, uh, and probably now we let's go and enjoy these last, I, I always forget how many games we've got left because of that Atalanta game. We've got to, we've got to recover, but yeah, let's just go and enjoy this last part of the season. And um, yeah, play with a bit more freedom and expression I think there was one point on the um, on the Mandragora point I think I might have mentioned to you after the game there was a point in the second half where we had an opportunity for a counter-attack and it was getting a little bit sort of congested in the midfield the weather that was deteriorating and Mandragora sort of, sort of took charge of it sort of gestured with his hands he's like oh um, don't worry boys I've got this and then went to pay a, a simple sort of 10 yard pass to the right wing where it was an overlap and got it intercepted by the only the only Salerno Turner, easy for me to say, um, defender within sort of any anywhere near him, um, which sort of summed up his performance really. Um, and I totally agree with you on on, on wing back. That's one area where there's definitely room for improvement. Juric uh, said in the in the pre match press conference, he, he finally mentioned that the missing man, uh, Olorina, uh and and I think sort of confirmed what maybe we've been thinking that he, he's not been playing because his, his performance in training since returning from the Afri- African Cup of Nations haven't been up to standard and I know they had a, Nigeria had a poor uh, result and didn't qualify for the World Cup um, in the international break but you'd sort of think if he's got any hope of sort of qualifying for uh, sort of uh, getting, a, getting a move sorry um, in the in the summer, which seems inevitable, he's probably got to sort of improve his training performances and improve his um, chances of getting a move away. Ina's I gone in the summer, I think, uh, barring you know a, a, man, a coaching change and, a, and someone who come in who really believes in him. Um, but I think he, I think what you're going to see in the next eight games is probably some players disappear from view. Um, other players being given more of a chance. I mean, the Brecolo one is interesting because he sat out the last two games. And I th- personally, I think it's probably COVID and um, injury related. But there's also an argument that, you know, if we, we pull Bre- uh, Brecolo a bit out of the team, it's uh, <laughs> it, it might help. Uh, Mr. Cairo, um, please listen to episode five if you haven't already. Um, yeah, negotiate the price down. So, if we we may see stuff. We, we we may see some kind of weird stuff like that. I mean, the other thing on 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 Saturday night was um, we did. I did put a call out to a few people there about the temperature because, I mean, Bonnet's only came. This is Salerno in the south of Italy in April. Bonnet's only came out wearing gloves, um, and I noticed he, he he shed his gloves for the second half, and then he had Lars Bohinian's son from Norway coming on wearing gloves. I mean, it must have been. I wonder if anyone. Yeah, I, I've I've never I've never seen players in the south of Italy in April um, wearing gloves before. So the fact that the rain did turn to hail pretty quickly suggests that it must have been um, relatively chilly uh, temperature. But Bonazzoli seemed to just for the entire game have a bit of a an issue. Um, whether there were a couple of players who he, he didn't really get on with when he was at Torino last season, or whether he was just trying to sh- sort of show that we'd made a terrible mistake, but. Um, I think his biggest contribution in that game was just trying to uh, complain about 
than stopping the game for a head injury, which, to be honest, I, did, I sort of had some sort of sympathy with him because I don't think, I think it was Mandragora who got hit in the face and I think they um, played the played the system very well because I don't think he was as hurt as he, as he sort of made out to be. But he uh, definitely over, overreacted with it, whereas you, you know that as soon as the player goes down, clutching the head, that the game's got to be stopped. You know who would who would never go down clutching his head? <laughs> it's your hero of the week, mate. So my hero is my my hero of the week. Um, I think I, inspired by a tweet that I saw after the uh, international break, um, where they sort of just said that I think he got injured in in, in the first minute for uh, his uh, national side, which it, which is Poland, uh, which may give a few clues as to who my hero of the week is. And he said that he just Carol Linetti. You've got me. You've got me. It's, it was that performance against Venezia. It's just, um, it's just convinced me. Um, but no, it is not Carolina, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, the, the tweet sort of um, just uh, suggested that despite actually not being able to to move, he just sort of stuck his head in, in front of everything and blocked everything. Um, and that sort of is just a great description of the man, really. And it, it's Camille Glick. Um, he he sort of signs. When we were in Serie B, and I don't, I remember he'd, he'd had a spell. Obviously, obviously he had a spell at Bari because he was a Ventura signing. Um, but he he had a bit of a, a strange career. I seem to remember. I think he had a spell in uh, Real Madrid's sort of B team. He's um, a real Galactico uh, product, Camel Dick, isn't he? As well, he, I mean, was, he was sort of they six had... foot two. <laughs> Built like a wardrobe from Poland. Harry yeah, you, had got up in there. You had you had you had Ronaldo. You'd had uh, sort of Beckham previously, and then you've got Camille Glick. They were the, they were the three amigos. They they would play you all. Uh, they would want to sell the season tickets. Um, but he um, he he sort of signed and very quickly just cemented himself. I think as a bit of a fan favourite. He was a bit of a throwback. That he, I mean, he played for in his first ballot I mean, Ventura's fourth. 4-2-4, formation and he did always look a little bit uncomfortable sometimes but he wasn't particularly quick uh, very good in the air, very strong and very brave and, and would always sort of uh, put himself in the way of, of any challenges but I think it was actually when we got promoted to Serie A that he, and we sort of moved to a three at the back, he, he sort of showed himself to be a, a, a really good really good centre-back and um eventually got his got his move to, to Monaco and, and then went to win a league title. But um he he was the first foreign captain of Torino since nineteen sixty. Um and just looking up at his uh, goal record for a centre back it's it's actually impressive. I won't I won't try and do the maths, but hundred and seventy games and thirteen goals uh suggests a goal in well, I will try and do the maths. It's a goal in every about fifteen games, I think, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, so he was always a goal threat. He was one of those players who, as soon as he got a corner, you always fancied him to sort of get get a bit a bit like Bremer nowadays. You always fancied he'd at least get a contact on it, whether he could get it towards goal or get sort of enough power and an aim on it to to trouble the keeper. Um, and I, I will move on to this point, and it's probably maybe not my finest moment, but uh, he's one of the rare Torino players who's got a song named after him. Um, by a um, Torino fan and rapper, Willy Payote, um, which he's called Glick. And in one of my early and somewhat embarrassing uh, 
memories of being an early Twitter user. I remember uh, Glick scored a brace um, against Genoa, I think it was, just before Christmas. And not really knowing how Twitter worked, I sort of suggested a, um, as a joke that if um, if I got, I think I set a really ridiculously low bar of something like 10 retweets, that if uh, I got these 10 retweets, I would do a version of this peyote rap. I, I probably got the 10 retweets in about five minutes. And I've, I've, As 10 I've, people should be thoroughly ashamed. Of yeah, well, I very History quickly realized, not being kind. Very quickly, I realised that this should have been hundreds of retweets because thankfully I wouldn't have brought this into the world. Um, but it is available. It is still on YouTube. Embarrassingly, I did, and I did have a spell of sort of producing quite a few like goal of the season compilations or like highlights uh, videos. There's a, there's a Bianchi one if anybody's interested as well. Um, this is the video that has the most views by far. It has like six thousand views of um, a musically untalented uh, person from Coventry. Weirdly, I chose to wear a Chicago Bulls cap um, just to try and live up to the to the, the rapper lifestyle. Um, and yeah, I, I do a very, very bad interpretation of, of the peyote rap. Uh, I think it's got about 6,000 views, which, which is it's pretty impressive. I should have put some advertising on it. Might might made a little bit more money. Um, and I think, I think Peyote's career... Um, uh, I think he did, he did better out of that song than you did. Put it that yes, slight. Well, but I uh, m- one of my friends uh, brought my attention to it that there's a um, there's a Glick. It's a Polish documentary that follows Glick around. I think it. I think he's still in Turin. Um, and I had a, a Polish friend who I worked with, and he brought my attention to this um, documentary. And so it follows a uh, Glick meeting Peyote, and they're talking about the rap. And then Piotr starts, starts talking about um, an English uh, person who does a, a cover version of the rap, uh, and he just describes it as being very, very bad. And at that moment, I realised that he was talking about me. <laughs> um, whereas obviously, obviously, I think I'd nailed it, and that like the, the record deal was in was sort of in the offing. Um, yeah, that was quite a quite a sobering Is moment it... that I realised people were watching it because it was bad and not because it was good. Well, it's, I don't know. It's. Uh... Maybe it's better better to be bad than than nothing at all, Rob. Exactly, exactly. It it will it will live on as my uh, sort of moment of of infamy. Um, But isn't there a line in? There's a line in the rap from memory because it's a bit inspired by that tackle Glick did in uh, on Jacarini in the derby. Yeah, um, in his first derby, and there's a line, isn't it, about uh, it? Basically, Glick's the opposite to to Matri and Boriello. There's a line about them. these kind of fan- fancy boys worried about their hair and, and um yeah no it was um i think that i think yeah obviously that that rap kind of um i guess confirmed his his kind of cult status in it a little bit and uh, like and i was thinking about that when i was um sort of doing a little bit of research beforehand i suppose the the torah hero section is is for genuine heroes and also for court heroes there'll be players who we'll discuss later who it might not have been as good on the pitch um, as others, but had that, you have a little bit of affection for them and they're a court hero, where I think Glick probably feel, fits into both. He was he was a court hero because he because obviously he had the rap, he sort of his no-nonsense style, getting sent off, I think, in two derbies, but still being loved by the fans. But also on the pitch, he was, in his, in his peak, he was a very, very good centre-back 
and probably has gone on. I mean, he's still still playing now, still playing a key role in, in Poland's national side. Um, I will touch on sort of, unfortunately, it did have a little bit of a sour uh, end. Um, not not so much ends because his career still going, but there was a little bit of trouble with the fans um, last season when he was playing for Benevento. Uh, I think he scored a, a disallowed goal, sort of celebrated it and it was disallowed and was sort of very animated about it and a few Torino fans were a bit upset about it me being one of them to be honest but um, he did he did come out and explain and, and he sort of said that he always gave 100% and to show Torino the ultimate respect that he had for them he couldn't give anything less than 100% whilst wearing another team's shirt and that, I think that was enough for, for most Torino fans I think actually in the heat of the moment and you sort of see a player who you want to sort of idolise once was a, a captain of the club sort of seen, being so happy to score against Torino you sort of forget that actually he was in the he was a, for playing for a newly promoted side in a um, sort of relegation battle sort of it was at the time even though it was still a few a few months from the season ending I think ultimately Torino came back from 2-0 um, down in that game I think if I think if we had not came back to, to draw it, I think we would have gone down and Benevento would have stayed up. So it shows sort of how how important that game was and, and, and proved to be later on. Um, although Glick wasn't to know it at the time. Um, I, think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Willie Piotti actually tweeted around that time saying, I remember him saying he had no issue with it. I thought it was a little, I think there was something in that, in that when he left Monaco, I think he, he tried to get in touch with Cairo about coming back. I think he made it quite public. He wanted to come back and it was, and it was rebuffed. I don't think it would have been the right decision to bring him back. Um, and I, I did think it was something, yeah, that celebration was a little bit more intense than there was. I think there was something else in it apart from that. Um, but having said that we've discussed and, and the, probably the topic of Fabio Quagliarelli will come up on one of these pods at some point, but that season where Fabio Quagliarelli you know, seemed to score every home game for about four months and never celebrate because he didn't want to offend the good people of Udine or the good people of, you know, somewhere else where he once spent six months. It was just got got quite slightly ridiculous. So, yeah, no issue really with 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 what what Glick did. And I think I think for me the standout season was this penultimate one, the one uh, where the Europa League run. I think he scored seven eight goals in the league that year. I remember the game against Zenit where we we were very unlucky to go out. I mean, uh, that was a season Marco Banassi kind of, uh, a very young Marco Banassi made two big mistakes. One in the Turin derby where he, um, he gave the ball away before Pirlo scored very late on, um, uh, which cost us a quite, at the time, a, a good point away at Juventus. And then the, the other big match was away at Zenit where he got sent off in the first half. We lost 2-0. And then Glick scores an injury time in the end of the second leg and he comes very close in injury time scoring again. And it did that was a season where the ball where any corner came in just seemed to be sucked on sucks through his head. Um and I think that was like you said, yeah, that there was a, the first couple of seasons under Venturas were in a flat back four and he often he would get exposed um and be dragged out of position and then sometimes be forced to so kind of make quite crude challenges sometimes. Uh, I hadn't realised in the promotion season how little he, not how little he played, but he wasn't 
he only played 20 odd games. And I think there was a, with Ogbonna and uh, Valerio de Cesare, there was a kind of bit of rotation there, but he didn't really establish himself until in, in Serie A. And I don't think he really um, became the player, uh, yeah, became kind of the hero uh, until when we moved into that, into that uh, back three where he had, he had a bit of more legs and pace around him. Um, I mean, he plays quite. He played. He went on to play for Monaco in the back four, and quite regularly for Poland in the back four. So he's he, he can clearly play in the black back four. But I think for Torino, he played. He did his best work in in the back three, and then yeah, surprisingly, this, his final season, he didn't score a single goal after scoring all of those goals in that season. Um, but I think he was a classic piece of Torino business. We picked him up for less than a million, got great service from him. Sold him for quite a significant profit, um, you know, to a to a to a different league, uh, where he went on to be successful. And I think we replaced him. I don't think there's ever any point since Glick left where we've gone. Oh, we we really wish we still had Camel Glick because uh, there was the Mihailovic season we've talked about, but that was kind of slightly circumstantial. But you know, we we kind of replaced him, um, replaced him fairly well. So yeah, all in all, just. He had a very good career. Uh, uh, Torino was good for him, um, and he was good for Torino. And I think that was—you can't always say that about about many players. And I think he, I think he's a player who, yeah, will be kind of very, always very fondly remembered. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good way to end it. Like, I think if you can uh, leave a club where people remember you fondly, but you leave it on the right terms, and and he became quite apparent that he was looking for sort of like a move for, to like a European side and I think there were talk of him going to maybe a, a sort of more established Champions League side than, than Monaco but and I, I think at the time I was quite surprised that it was only Monaco who came in for him but then they both totally proved me wrong by them going on to sort of win, win a league title which I think probably surpassed even his own expectations for, for making a move there um, and yeah I think he is one of those players who any time... Yeah, I remember watching him play for, for England. Is in the, I think it was, would have been the World Cup qualifying. And he even at half-time, he was... I think he was winding up Harry Kane or something. He's, and and you, you sort of just you just watch it with a smile and just be like, oh, that's, that's, that's Camille. That's, that's Camille doing Camille Glick things. Um, and even though it's a sort of against my national side, you, you just can't help. But he's one of those players you would hate to play against, but you'd love to have him on your team. And and that's that's really the the legacy that he'll probably have for the uh, Torino fans. Well, he got he got the club and he got the team, and we've said that about a few players in this in this hero section. And that's will probably be a common theme amongst most of the heroes. It's that people who've come in respected the shirt and made uh, kind of made an effort to to understand the identity of the club. Um, will always be appreciated, and I think he he did that um, without kind of being either you know, too showy or too or anything contrived about it either. And I think, um, yeah, very good choice, very Thank good choice. Much. Okay, so from so from one one pretty boy to another, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you pick your uh, Toro villain of the week. So, yeah, my villain. So it's Milan this weekend, isn't it? So this player. It's probably best known for spells at Torino and and, and at Milan. Yeah, I think he, had, he he would have had multiple at Milan because uh, he was a Milan youth product. And in Simone Verdi fashion, he had two incredibly Torino sign this player twice. 
Um, but, but yeah, my my villain is is Francesco Coco, um, who would have had a very fleeting uh, spell during one of your early seasons following Torino, but you you blinked and you would have missed it. But it's quite interesting going back and looking at his career because he was. I remember when he came through at Milan, he was I mean he was he's, he was a, a good looking lad. Um, tall, a very tall, athletic fullback, and you and left and although kind of right, you know, kind of right-footed left back, but you could you know where the kind of obvious um, comparisons would have been at the time to oh, okay, this is the guy who's going to succeed Maldini at, at Milan, and then you know Milan started farming him around for experience, and one of those early experiences was at Torino and. Uh, this is one of our in a kind of yo-yo seasons. Uh, he came, uh, he came to play with us on loan. And this was a Torino team where we had a few, we had we had, we had a few of these handsome chaps. We had uh, we had Francesco Coco, uh, we had centre back Fabio Galante, who was in every gossip magazine and what they call them at the time in Italy were, were kind of it girls, and he would you know he'd be on a beat on a kind of. Um, photographed on beaches throughout the summer in every nightclub and Galante has had far too pretty a face for a centre-half and it's quite interesting if you ever looked at the centre-halves who played with it Torino uh, like there was a guy called Roberto Maltalialti later uh, Daniele De Licari who played it but they, they had proper you know centre-half faces you could tell like, you know Galante must have said no not the face not the face but um but yeah, so we had Coco Galante, we had, uh, we had Lesio Scarchili in midfield, who was a, he was actually a pretty good player. Um, and then we had the returning playboy Lentini, who was a, who was a bit more rugged at this stage. But yeah, we had so, so we had we had this kind of um, we had quite a few players who had been the gossip gossip columns more than um, more more than kind of fated for what they did on on the field that season. Uh, Coco was ended in relegation. It was quite disappointed quite disappointing sorry and uh he kind of I went, he kind of disappeared from view towards the end of the season in fact his best game was in a one nil away win at Verona where we had nine men for about 60 minutes with our two centre forwards sent off and he effectively played as as almost the sole sole attacker from a left wing back position had a very just ran with a ball to the corner flag um but that was kind of his his probably his best game at Torino we were relegated and then he went off and pursued his career um, and he was just beset by injuries. Um, he was, as I said, he was just, he was always in the, in, in the glossy magazines and, and not often enough in Gazzetta dello Sport. He went unknown to Barcelona for a season, went back to Milan, ended up at Inter, but just ended up being one of those players who played very little. Um, and then we get to, we're going to fast forward, we get to the summer of around 2007 and he has a trial at Manchester City where he turns up with a fag in his mouth. <laughs> and that, so, so the story says, and um, Man City took one look at him and say, uh, no, you're not for us. Uh, at this point, he hadn't played football, I don't think, for a year because he'd had a cruciate injury at Livorno. Um, so there's an entrepreneur in Milan who who work, worked in the media, who decided, oh, this would be the perfect guy for my failing Serie A team. A guy who's not played, played for a year, has already disappointed in one spell at the club and has barely played any, any football for a while. So he comes into that Torino season, uh, first season back in Serie A uh, under, under Debiazzi, and he um, uh, yeah, joins in the kind of uh, January transfer window. 
he plays three games um, around January, February. A lo- one nil loss at Siena, a nil nil um, away Empoli, and a nil one against Milan, our opponents this weekend, where he's hooked at half time, and his, that was his last ever game as a professional footballer. Um, he played. Uh, uh, 177 league appearances in his career, retired at 30, uh, became, you know, where he's going to go after his career. Um, you know, he was on um, I'm a Celebrity, the, the Italian version of I'm a Celebrity. And one of the funny stories I found was on the Italian version of Survivor, he, he voluntarily pulled out after a few days, which probably is quite, <laughs> it's probably quite in common with, with, with some of the career. Um but yeah, just I guess he was that there was a kind of certain type of Italian player at the time who was I often define it as kind of like there's always a sensation of like liking being a footballer more than playing football, and I think maybe injuries just uh, you know kind of ravaged his career and and um, but yeah, he's had quite for a few years as well post career some quite quite colourful incidents and things he got caught up in which I don't think were were necessarily his fault either um but he's also kind of look at those signings of that that season we came up and this was we talked about it last week Kyra so we brought in Christian Abiati uh we brought a Japanese a Japanese center forward Agora I don't know if you ever remember him but yeah, he 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 just never looked fit for purpose. And so, Weirdly, yeah. I can remember him, but I have absolutely no recollection of Coco's second uh, spell at Torino. Well, I think uh, yeah, I think very few people do. Um, we had Axel Conan um, from Lecce. I I, from Lecce, I can't remember if he was from Sierra Leone or. I mean, he he'd done okay at Lecce, but yeah, did nothing. We and then we had the classic uh, midfield, Giro Baroni and Fiore, who yeah. It's two of the kind of most underwhelming signings. It was, you know, buy buy me a World Cup winner and um, buy my, like you've said before, buy buy me the kind of least expensive, least impressive member of Italy's 2006 World Cup winning squad. Um, I'm trying to think who the uh, equivalent of that would be to buy somebody from the the recent Italy Euro squad. And I feel, I feel like it's probably Sirigu. So, yeah, uh, I'm not Caro was probably gutted that he'd sort of let sort of was letting him go on a free transfer and then he, he had a little bit of silverware to, to take home. Yeah, I'm trying to think who the equivalent now from that Italy Euro squad. I mean, he was, I wouldn't say, was, um, I guess, Brian Cristante or yeah. he's probably a slightly higher profile player. There's also the guy from, um, oh, is it the name slip with the guy, um, the guy from Fiorentina who did he squeeze into the Italy squad? Oh, uh, um, Castrovilli. Castrovilli. Yeah, Castrovilli. I mean, he's he's never one of those players who's uh, particularly impressed me. But um, yeah, I think I think Baroni was he was just a kind of workhorse who got into that got into that Italy squad. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're deviating a, a little bit away from from Coco. But yeah, he was a kind of probably the poster boy for that awful. Um, transfer campaign of the, of the the first season we came up and we ended up being really being salvaged by the players who were um who got us promoted um but yeah he started his career at Milan and finished his career being hooked at half time in a pretty f- um forgettable 1-0 defeat against Milan so I guess um 
I guess let, I'll let you set up this weekend's game. Yeah, so um, this weekend's game is, uh, as Peter mentioned, against the league leaders, AC Milan. Um, and we're not going to mention the the reverse fixture last season, because um, I'm sure... I think, we, I think we probably should. But, well, I think that uh, I think I, within the club, they should probably should, because if... Uh, um, well... As, as a as a three 0 fan who's as a, sorry as a, as a Southampton fan who's watched his team lose nine nil on two occasions uh, and then constantly have that um, game referenced for every uh, game you play, it is somewhat um, annoying. But Torino have also lost two games seven nil in the sort of same sort of period, and and like you say, maybe it should be used as a bit of inspiration because. One of the frustrations that I have um, with with this game and is the fact that you've got to remember the context of Serie A is that games aren't decided by guard friends, they're decided by head-to-head. So what usually happens um, is that a team will get to sort of 3, 4, 5 nil and just not not go on to, to score any more goals because I'm not sure whether it's sort of um, a conscious thing, but Especially when you're, I can't remember if if it was it would have been a behind ghost door game, I imagine. Um, but you you try not to sort of embarrass your um, the the opponents too much. But Atalanta and AC Milan obviously didn't didn't take this yeah, uh, I, take note of this. No, without wishing to cut you off, I'm I'm happy they did. It's one of the things I don't like about Italian football is the declaration, and I think if you're gonna, it's a cultural thing. Um, but I guess from my view is if you're if you stop playing against an opponent, you're actually not showing them any respect. Yeah. Um, and I remember Ventura. One of the things I didn't like about Ventura. I remember we smashed Sampdoria five one once at home. I can't remember who scored the fifth goal. It might have been Bruno Perez. Um, he smashed and Ventura looked so peed off that um, that Perez had scored this goal because you know it was. Um, he'd obviously told the team, like, let's just sit on this. I think Ventura is a Sampdoria fan as well. But, um, but yeah, I, didn't, I never liked that. It's just... It's it it one of those strange sport, it's, it's, it's sport. You don't gloat in the face of your opponent. That's, that's one yeah, thing. Yeah, I think there was, there was, the, yeah. there was a... Um, in the Atalanta game, I think it was Mario Pasalic was sort of on the centre circle, sort of doing sort of tricks, and, and that sort of got people's backs up. Um, I, I mean... I seem to remember there probably could have been more than seven. Maybe maybe Milan did um, sort of ease up once it got to seven. Um, but yeah, it's it is a difficult way. It's not nice to see when you're on the receiving end of it. But if you're the team um, four, five, six nil up, you're wanting to think how many goals can we get here because not every not every week that you score that many goals, especially in Italy. Um, but I do think that could act as a little bit of motivation for. Uh, the players, especially the players who were, were involved in that game last season, so sort of Bellotti, Itzo, um, and Dragora, I imagine, probably would have played in it. Um, it is not something you really want to remember as a professional being involved in a in a team that that's lost seven nil at home, um, and this could be a, a chance of revenge because because Milan are going for the league title. They slipped up uh, yesterday against Bologna, only managing a nil-nil draw at home. And I think Napoli play before Milan, so Napoli could be top of the table by the time this game takes place. So it will be, I think it will be interesting to see 
what Torino turn up because they have had a reputation of putting in better performances against uh, the bigger sides. Um, Juric commented in, in the press conference before the uh, Salernitana game that Belotti especially is sort of a different player at home than he is away. Juric is a different coach as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point, which I'm sure Belotti probably didn't uh, uh, raise that. Uh, question, but yeah, I think I think it's a fair point. It's not just Bellotti. I think it's easy to pick on Bellotti to make that point on knowing that in in all likelihood he's not going to be here next season. He he's never one who speaks out against the press. He's a very professional uh, player who just sort of gets his head down and does his job on the pitch. And I think he was quite confident in knowing that Bellotti wasn't going to say anything about what his comments, which were. A little harsh, and it's not just Bellotti who is is having different performances um, at the Grande Torino than the, than he is when when Torino are on the road. Um, how about your feelings of the game? Yeah, I'm not, personally, I'm not sure the nil nil with Bologna helps us. I'd rather they've kind of beaten Bologna and and maybe came to us, um, yeah, came to us kind of. A little bit more relaxed and maybe maybe with the foot off the gas. Um, I know they're going for the title, but I think that Bologna result. Um, I don't know. I, I I meant to do some research on this, but I can't ever remember us beating a Stefano Pioli team. He's one of those coaches who's got a even back from his moderner days. I remember him. I, I think we've. I don't think we've ever beaten a Pioli team. I can't. Um, I might be wrong, but he's just one of those, yeah, one of those coaches. Whoever is in charge of, seemed to beat us. Um, we've had we've had a little bit of success playing the last five six years at home home to Milan. Um, I said before, I don't think they're an all. I don't think this is a particularly uh, fluid, um, creative, particularly impressive team. I think what is impressive is that they're top of the league and they've they've churned out churned out results. Um, I thought I thought their sorry to cut you off there, but I thought their performance at the the San Siro against this was probably one of the worst performances I've seen by a sort of a bigger side where they where they got an early goal and then just sort of sat back and whether that was um, something that they meant to do or whether it just happened the game sort of turned out like that, but uh, they just sort of took their chances that they sort of bet on Torino not being able to, to create any chances or, or score anything. It did turn out that way, but. I think Torino had sort of 60, 60% possession against the side who are sort of going for the league title. So it will be interesting to see what sort of, whether whether that is maybe their their forte playing on the counter attack and they have got some some sort of quick players who, who that will suit. But I think it I think it will be a similar I can, I can see it being a similar game to the inter to the inter one where we are sort of on the front foot and, and creating chances and um whether whether they can sort of hit us on the break and and sort of get those goals, or whether the the sort of pressure of being in that title race is going to have an effect on them. Yeah, I think they're a, they're quite a robust team. I think they're, they're defensively quite good. Um, Hernandez is one of those players as well. Often seems to do quite well against us. I think we're going to have to defend defend quite well at, at fullback. But yeah, the hope the hope for us is we you know we've built built. Back into this game, we've got the win at home to Slenitana and we can play with that intensity. If we play with that intensity we played uh, with against Inter, I think we'll have a very good chance. Pabega will come back into the team, presumably, um, ho- uh, presumably and hopefully with Brecolo behind Bellotti. Um, 
so we should be we should be at full strength um well as close to full strength really as as possible um so yeah it's 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 kind of also on us to make a game of it often there's a silly thing with Torino as well when uh when a team is chasing the title with Juventus there's always that thing in a you know oh we don't want to do a favor for Juventus but um I'm not ruling Juventus out of the title race but I don't think that that narrative is necessarily there either especially if like you said Napoli Napoli end up getting a result before um yeah it's a hard it's a hard one to call isn't it it's a, it's a very hard one to call you just you don't tend to trust Torino too much and I've seen even when we play well of seeing through these matches and seeing through the difficult moments and and staying concentrated um but if we can if we could return to the intensity we played against Inter if we get into a position where we go a goal up and they they get nervous uh based on you know w- w- with the stakes that the stakes being quite high for them it'll be a very interesting game but let's let's go out there and, and play it um I think I'm going to go for one-one again. Though. I think I think Bellotti might score, um, and I think yeah, I think we might, I think we might come back from a goal down this time. Um, but yeah, what, what about you? Where are you going? This? I am going to go for a prediction which might might make me look very foolish. Comes of ten o'clock on Sunday evening, but I'm I'm going to go stick my neck out for a for a two-one Torino win. Um, we we sing the Camel Glick song if that happens. No, please don't. Please don't. Uh, well, if if I get if this podcast gets one thousand listens, then maybe I'll do it. Um, <laughs> set my set my bar really bar really high this time. I've got um, a very large. I got a very large family. It could be. A <laughs> I um I I've just got I've just got a sneaky feeling about it. I think whether that's just misplaced uh, optimism, we'll we'll find out. But. I think I mean I've just checked now a Napoli's game is if Fiorentina on at two o'clock on the Sunday, which even though it's at home is, is not a not an easy game at all with Fiorentina sort of doing what we, we thought Torino might do for a little bit of the season and and look like they they might qualify for Europe or, or at least attempting to. Um but I think if, if Napoli win that and go top of the league, that might be a bit of pressure which which Milan have have done well and, and rose to the occasion on a number of times this season, but I think the nearer and nearer it gets to the end of the season, the more pressure there is. And against it, Torino can be a very, very difficult team to play against, especially at home. Um, and I hope that it will be similar to that Inter game, the crowd being right up for it, for sort of as much as close to a full house as, as we can we can manage at the at the Grande Torino. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe like say Milan take the lead and, and then Torino fight back would be would be a nice change of. Uh, of sort of story or narrative for the game where sometimes if we go goal down we sort of be like oh it's not going to be our day and, and sort of throw the towel in a little bit I think again I'm going to make a point which totally uh, sort of disagrees with my prediction there but if you look at sort of the performances that Cagliari and Venezia have put in after beating Toro at, at home sort of suggests that they were massive anomalies where they haven't sort of gone on to to get two or three wins, Venezia, I don't think, well, they haven't won a game since. Uh, Cagliari lost 5-1 against an Udinese side with, with not much to play for uh, at the weekend. So maybe those games we can just sort of write off and, and whilst they were relatively similar, uh, I think we, we do play better against the better sides and 
and I'm hoping that's going to be the case again on Sunday. I mean, before we go, I'm going to offer you, offer you a ticket, and we've got uh, let's say we've got eight games left. You could choose to win. You, I'm offering you a chance. Torino will win. I guarantee they'll win one of the eight matches, and you can choose which one. Which one would it be? Oh, see, I I don't really have a preference for the title to race as long as it's not Juve. But if I had a preference, it probably would be Napoli. Um. If I could yeah, choose I see, one, I, I, I'd like to see I'd like to see Pioli with a sad little face on on, <laughs> on Sunday evening. I think beating Milan is always quite prestigious. I'd, of the contenders, I'd like to see Napoli win the league. I think I just think it'd be great for the city of Naples. Um, I don't think there's an outstanding team this year, and I think they've in the past few seasons Napoli racked up pretty impressive points tallies to to not win the league. Um, so, and yeah, the other teams we're playing, we've kind of. We've, we've kind of beaten even Roma we beat last season so we've been kind of beating them in recent memory it would be, be great to beat a Mourinho team as well but I think if I was to choose, if I was to take one thinking on top of my head I'd um, I'd like to beat Milan on Sunday night so I think I think I think that would be that would be up there but it's probably the game which we'll probably be doing a preview for next week that I would take as my uh, as my pick it, it would be Lazio away um, I thought you were going to say Empoli away there. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I just really dislike their stadium. Um, the big trick. I, I just, I mean, Empoli is a place we never, we never win at. We may as well wish a win at Empoli because um, uh, we've got a terrible record there. But I just, I just uh, have memories of um, Arlinda Yeti's back pass to Joe Hart at that stadium, uh, getting caught in the waterlogged pitch and um, and making Hart look a little bit foolish, even though it wasn't his fault. Um, so yeah, I no, I think Lazio would if I if I could only pick one, I think Lazio next week would probably be my pick. Just just the memories of um of last of the last game or the penultimate game of last season. Um and seeing a, a mobile sad little face as they realised they weren't gonna qualify for Europe would be quite would be quite funny. But Oh well, we've so, nailed it. Torino three, three to beat Milan, next week to beat Lazio. I wish and then we can literally go then we can go on yeah. the beach finally. Literally, our wishes will come true. Oh, because, uh, so we've got Spezia the week after that, and that's at I home. Unfortunately, otherwise, yeah. otherwise we'd be yeah. We, unfortunately, we've got grid matches against Milan, Lazio, and Spezia, and then Empoli. They, we can yeah, we can it, roll over. Yeah, we need to win those next four. All right, well, boys, finishing confident mood. Um, yeah, I guess we'll reconvene uh, early next week post uh, the two-one victory over Milan. Yeah, and if um, Torino do take a heavy defeat after my rather foolish prediction, we may need to get a, a substitute podcaster in to uh, to accompany uh, Peter. Yeah, I've just te- I've just texted Willie Willie Piotti, so yeah. his game. So. I, I think I think it might be necessary if uh, if Torino have a, another poor defeat, but um, I'm going to stick my neck out and hopefully I'll be uh, I'll be able to watch the game and uh, I won't look too stupid. Forza Toro. Forza Toro. <laughs>